0: Hello and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. This week on the podcast, we're joined by Ewan Shepard, European Logistics Manager for Trek Travel, based out of Girona, Spain. As a longtime listener knows, I've been super keen on the idea of gravel travel and super excited to see this industry grow up. We had an earlier discussion with Juan de la Roca about Southern Colorado and building that up as a gravel destination. And now we're seeing events like Lifetime's Rad Dirt Fest crop up over there. We've also talked to event organizers over in Europe around the Gravel Epic Series that was conceived during the COVID time and didn't actually get to get its races off the ground. But one of the locations we talked about in Europe was Girona. Now for road cyclists, Girona has long been part of the discussion about where professional athletes live and there's a reason why they live there. Amazing road riding all over the place. So I was really excited to learn originally from the Gravel Epic team about Girona as a travel destination for gravel cyclists, but even more excited to learn about this trip that Trek Travel is putting together, their Girona gravel bike tour. They've got a couple more departures this year in November that you can still sign up for, as well as a whole host of dates for 2022, starting in the spring. After talking to Ewan, all I can say is sign me up. It sounds amazing. I'll let him explain it in his own words, but it sounds like Girona is a very special place for cyclists of all kinds, and the opportunities for gravel cycling are abundant outside the city center. I'm excited for you to learn more about Girona and gravel. With that said, let's dive right in to my conversation with Ewan Shepard. Ewan, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Greg. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, everybody, for listening in.
0: I appreciate you joining us on a Friday evening over there in Spain. I'm super excited about the topic we're going to discuss today. As the listener or the long-term listener has known, I've talked about gravel travel as something I'm super excited about because, as we all know, it's such a great way to explore the world. And the idea of packing my bike and going somewhere exotic like Girona, Spain, is super exciting to me. So when I got the opportunity to connect with Trek Travel and, and dig into this trip and dig into Girona Gra- Gravel, I jumped at it. So and thank you for joining me. And let's just get started by a little bit about your background.
1: Yeah, no worries. Thank you again for having me. And I guess we share something in common that we both enjoy seeing the world by bike. So gravel travel is definitely evident between us all Um, said about my background it's been varied i started off as a kid not really enjoying the the power of two wheels on my own preferring motor power of motocross bikes and motorsport and pursued a career in motorsport i am i'm only 29 so it's not it wasn't a long career and then i decided to jump into the cycle career really because my brother threw me on an old racing bike of his and said we're going crit racing what is this And yeah, that's how I got into cycling and kind of started to learn about it and love cycling, all things cycling, really. That threw me on a mountain bike for the first time. He threw me on a cyclocross bike for the first time, took me to track for the first time. And just more and more, I ate it up and started falling in love with, with cycling. And, and then I thought, why not help out my local bike shop? Because I was in between jobs and bugging the owner and the mechanic calling in on the bike and asking for them to help me with this or could they get parts or for that and then they were like hey we need an extra hand here and you're pretty mechanically minded can you want to come and help us out and so I started wrenching in a bike shop and from there it took me to I was actually living in Australia at the time and working in a shop there and then I started working for the the initial Brompton dealer in Australia which was Pretty fun and interesting little folding bikes, which were going all over kind of the Australasia, New Zealand, uh, even sent a bike that uh, prompted to Fiji. And then I moved back to the UK and was uh, starting working for old mountain bike brand that maybe some of your listeners have heard of Heard of Pace Cycles. They're one of the first UK mountain bike brands set up by, by a young family at the time who did same as me. They loved motocross and enduro bike riding. And uh, they wanted a bike to to train on during the time that they weren't racing on the motorbikes, and so they imported mana bikes. He had to import Gary Fisher's at the time because there was nothing else in Europe, uh, or in the UK. So he, Adrian, is the main designer at the company, and he designed his own own mana bikes. The Yase 100 was their famous first bike square tubed aluminum that they rooted out parts of the frame to make it lighter. So I started working for them after they did the whole mountain bike brand. And we, they had two shops at the time that they just started and started in rental centers. So I joined them uh, running one of their shops and uh, then they got back into the, the frames. And that's when I started to learn more about frame design, different bikes, and the whole enduro scene was, mountain bike enduro scene was growing. And that was something that we were really interested in at the time. And I was starting to cyclocross race at the time. I would go off on weekends to cyclocross race and come back to work. And we were designing 29 nineer slack, long, low mountain bikes. And we also had a touring version because adrian and his wife kathy loved to go off to all sorts of places the they did chile they went and rode the santiago Compostela in in northern spain all of these cycle touring and he, he adapted one of the hardtail enduro steel mountain bikes and put lugs on it so he could take and i was like i like the look of that bike but i don't really i don't want to put drop bars on it can i put drop bars on it let's try it and so here i had a 29 mountain bike slack long low with with a drop bar on it and i was like "Ah, this is pretty cool and they were looking to they already had an xc carbon bike so i was like "Ah, can we do this a bit lighter because um yorkshire is i know you you have family there craig and it's up down dale is dale is a small valley and it's really steep at each side and I live in between the two national parks of the, the North York Moors and the, the Yorkshire Dales. And they have so many of these little dales. So riding across there, you go down and it's like down 25 percent, down to a flat valley, then literally back up the other side, 25, 30 percent. So I wanted something nice and light, but to go all day um, across the dales and the moors. And so we were making this and thinking, oh, this could be a cool and gravel was coming on the scene at the time, and I was interested in bike packing with it and just testing out something that was a good touring bike, but at the same time, I saw touring at the time as being something that my parents did or older people did when they retired. So I wanted something fun because I, I still enjoyed enduro mountain biking, so I wanted to take it down some trails at the same time as doing 100k on it, which I certainly wouldn't do on my 160 mil Enduro bike do 100k but so that's where i discovered this cyclocross gravel mix that we all call gravel today which adrian at the time was like we used to race on mountain bikes with drop handlebars xc and downhill back in the 1980s because i'm inventing anything new it's all coming round in circles the wheels going round as they say so that was really my early years in the cycle industry playing with that and then i Being honest, Googled cool bike mechanic jobs in warm places, which took me back to Australia. And then I wanted to go back to Europe and it took me to the warmest place at the time, which was the Canary Islands, which was great for gaining some exposure of just mass cyclists all at once, thousands of people on the road, just riding their bikes, having fun on holiday, guided, worked in rental shop, loved the the Canary Island lifestyle. And then I just stumbled across Trek Travel. I called the global logistics manager up one day. I was like, I want to come work with, for you because I want to help out on some of your big trips. They were doing Tour de France and big Pyrenees trips and out trips. And I just really liked the idea of offering support to to other people, not... The I'd been guide, a guide and I wanted to support the guides. I knew all the tricks of all the problems of guide, being a guide, so I wanted to help them most of all, help their help their guests, and that kind of leads me to here, where I'm the European Logistics Coordinator for Trek Travel, and in our home base of Spain.
0: Amazing! It's such it's so interesting as people who have been around the sport of cycling for a long time to trace back when you first started doing the thing that later became gravel cycling. Because obviously, as you've indicated, as, as we've discussed before, people have been riding drop bar bikes off-road for a long time. But it was this kind of gradual progression of componentry, frame design methodology, tires, brakes, all these things combined to making what was once somewhat a hacky type experience where you were maybe bringing a bike that wasn't exactly suited for the job to where we are now, that depending on where you are and how you want to set up your bike, there's such a wide variety of ways in which you can configure these bikes to ride on the roads and trails wherever you live in the world.
1: Yeah, it's always fascinated me coming from like a motorsport design element, always into aerodynamics, working with Formula 2, Formula 3, and then I actually... I always had a love for kind of classic cars. I raced something in the UK or Europe, It's Rallycross, which I don't think you have in the U.S., but it's exactly that. It's a cross between the circuit is gravel road and dirt, and you drive a little bit of each. And we always used to race uh, the classic Mini Coopers. That was my classic love of cars. But yeah, that was a tangent. Sorry.
0: (laughs) No, no, it's an interesting perspective. I hadn't, no one's brought that up before, but it's totally true. There's parallels in that experience, because you had to have a car that drove well on the road, but was capable off-road. And presumably every driver, just like every rider had to make those difficult choices of, okay, do I want it to be higher performing on-road or off-road? And what's that happy medium for me as a, as an athlete? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And I think that changes with your, with you personally, you may be a a road cyclist, but you, you have that instinct to what's down there and it's a gravel road to go off road and explore it. And you want to feel safe and comfortable. You don't want to necessarily take your 23 mil tires, carbon road bike down a rough dirt track. Yeah. You want a bike that's comfortable and safe to do it all.
0: Yeah, exactly. Talking about Trek travel specifically, obviously with the track name associated with it, People associate it directly with the brand, but the company itself as Trek Travel, can you tell us a little bit about its origins and how long it's been operating?
1: Yeah, it's actually our 20th year of fun. 20, 20 years since Trek Travel was thought up in the in Trek itself, where it started with just three people brought in to, to en- enhance the experience that people were getting when they were not just buying a bike, they were buying into the Trek brand, which is ride bikes, have fun, feel good. And Trek just wants to get more people on bike to have fun. And one of the ways was to offer them a trip of a lifetime, a vacation of a lifetime to somewhere. And that idea grew over the last 20 years, starting in the U S and then Trek bought into the, the protein of Leopard Trek. And they started running uh, VIP trips to the Tour de France and bringing clients across for that specifically to see the tour and see the, the classics that, that are in Europe of the Alps, to, to climb Alpe d'Huez, to do Mont Vent, to go to the Pyrenees and do the Tour Millet, the real bread and butter of Europe. And that's grown just more destinations, more places to ride, more great experiences by bike. And yeah, that's brought us to now 20 years on.
0: Yeah. And for those of you who have not done a a, a bike tourism trip, it really is amazing and a, a luxury. It's obviously a luxury to be able to afford it, but to be able to go over and do this and to have someone plan out the best of the best, to plan out the best roads, the best routes When you're coming off the Tourmalet or Mont Ventoux, knowing the right cafe to stop in, having extra gear for you, having a guide that speaks the language, but more importantly can help you get integrated into the culture. In my personal experience, having done several trips over in Europe, it was just such a great time. If you can afford to spend that time on your bike, spend a week on one of these trips, it's just so amazing. Which is why I I remain super jazzed and excited to talk about the gravel tours that Trek is introducing. When did you first start to see gravel cycling as something that you could package a trip around?
1: Yeah, I don't know who or when the first kind of the ideas were talked about because I'm sure it's been something we're always looking at new trends, new new ways to travel that, that people want to do and new experiences and to we're primarily on on the road we started with mountain bike trips i think i want to say five six years ago and those were in small pockets in iceland norway and that's a great way to get completely off the road but then we found a lot of people they still wanted to they still wanted to do a bit of everything they wanted to go on the road still they they wanted to do the classic climbs as well as being off the road so it was like that Mix of so we took you to this beautiful forest, but actually, you wanted to be on the road as well in the same week, and but you didn't want to do it on a mountain bike. And at the time, there was no real bike that we had to do it. And then as the Demani, the Trek Demani evolved, it's got this name as being the do-it-all bike, where there's its ISO speed and its ability to take wider tires. It's really comfortable. Fabian Cancellara famously designed the bike to, to win Paris-Roubaix and, and Flanders over all the cobble and mixed terrain. Yeah, this, this is a bike that we can use for multi-purpose. And three years ago, we started using it as just guides and company people would come to Girona and all they'd say is, hey, can, can, can we go ride gravel? We, we don't want to ride the, the road around here. We heard the gravel is amazing. So we'd stick some hybrid tires on the demones and off we'd go just exploring off the beaten track. And that's kind of where it came from and grew from there with into a week-long trip here in Girona. And yeah, that's where it came
0: that's great to hear it's it's interesting to hear that it came from the riders up and great to hear that you as a company listened and started to build more experiences around that as we've talked about a little bit offline girona for anybody who's follows professional road cycling has always had this huge allure as a destination for a lot of pros live there so we presume there's a lot of great road riding out there. Do you feel that in the city is are there a ton of road cyclists around every week?
1: Yeah, I would say there's I wouldn't say there's a ton of road cyclists. I'd say there's thousands of cyclists in general on any given weekend. You can see mountain bikers, road bikers, gravel bikers, electric bikers nowadays, but all the time you can see people on bikes it's a city which has a big network of city bikes like docks everywhere where you can pick up the city bikes for three euros you can rent the bike for for the day to ride around town it's not a not that we call it a a town although it's a city it's very it's a small condensed old town so it's great to explore by bike with all the small streets and things and yeah as you said it's known it's gotten more well known because of all the professionals that live here mountain bike roads and you name it there's there's many triathletes Jan Frodeno to name one of the big biggest triathletes calls this his home and it's yeah in Europe it's known as one of the places where particularly I'm going to say foreign riders come from Australia New Zealand Canada the US they use this as their as their personal and I'd probably say right now in Girona you have upwards of 8200 pro cyclists living here which is really high for any city in the world given the amount of pros in general living here in Girona and you have three of the biggest teams are here locally you have EDF Israel Cycling Academy have a, a small base here you have a couple of Continental teams, a couple of the the US continental teams have their European bases here. So you not only have teams, you have sorry, you not only have riders, you have all the the support here as well. And they they say if you just want a massage, it's the best place in the in Europe to go for a massage because the level is so high. They're used to pros; you, you never get a bad massage here at all because <laughs> the masseuse could have been rubbing down. Chris Froome the day before he attends you. So you get pro service, whatever you're doing. And that's not just in cycling related. I'm sure we're going to talk about this, but the, the coffee scene, the the food scene, everything has that little twist towards catering for cyclists, which is amazing.
0: Yeah, I think that's super interesting. Obviously, the riding I want to be doing is off-road, but as someone who's a fan of professional cycling in general, just having that be infused as part of the city in addition to the culture, which maybe we'll talk about a little bit more. It's just going to be a fun addition to that trip. For us geographically challenged Americans, where is Girona?
1: Yeah, so Girona is, it's in Spain. It's in the region of Catalonia, which is to the to the northeast. We border on Spain. We border with Spain, Andorra and France. And so, yeah, it's in the northeast. Uh, and it's so not it's,
0: specifically on the coast, but how far of a, of a ride is it to the coast from Girona city center?
1: Yeah, so Girona is—it's probably for any cycling destination is really well situated. It's just a forty minutes drive to the and forty minutes drive from the Pyrenees. So yeah, slap bang in the middle of mountains and sea, and give you perspective in in riding terms. I'm sorry. I'm going to talk in kilometers, but we're looking at about a nice fifty-mile loop to the coast and back.
0: Okay. And look at just having Google Maps open as we speak. It looks like there is a lot of kind of national park space and green space just outside the city.
1: Mm-hmm. Literally, the back of the town has uh, a, a very famous climate some of you viewers maybe have heard of Els Angels. It's just over 7K but just over 6%. It's always said, the first and the last day you're here in Girona, you're going to ride this if you don't ride it every day. Um, and that leads into a beautiful national park at the back, at the back which has miles of more, more challenging gravel all the way to the coast. And then on the inland side of Girona, you're straight into two massive valleys, which just keep going up and up, and before you're in the Pyrenees.
0: For those climbs, so immediately very for little
1: the, flat riding.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask for those climbs of immediately outside of Girona. How much elevation do you gain to get to a local peak? Is that a, a thousand feet or you know, two hundred meters?
1: Els Angels is about six hundred elevation, very to to the very peak. Closest high point around here. You're looking about a. a meters up to the highest peak in, in Catalonia itself is just shy of 2,000 meters. So the elevation is not super high, but you are going from sea level most of the time, but it's all the little undulations. It's a rolling terrain, I would say.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, it certainly sounds like those they jet up pretty quickly, as a lot of coastal ranges do. So for the riding, when we talk about the gravel riding in Girona, we've talked about how great the road riding is. But what does it look mm-hmm. like to get on these gravel roads and, and what are they like? Are they super chopped up or are they smooth or do you get a little bit of both? I'd love to just get a sense for what you're out there riding.
1: Yeah, I, I think you have a, a bit of everything. We say like Girona is the, the Disneyland of cycling. And I first experienced kind of the, the gravel. As I said, we just threw some hybrid tires, some 32 mil hybrid tires on our Dumontes and went straight out lucky living out slightly outside of Girona so uh, just 10k from Girona center itself and it's mainly farmland and going back to my kind of love for cycling in in the UK with the, the dales and we have things called bridleways and i was in search of these things to start with because it's not well publicized gravel anywhere so you just go out the door and go okay take the first left off the road that doesn't seem like a road um, and see see where it heads and sometimes you end up with a beautiful smooth gravel track with uh, which is evidently just uh, an extra road to people's houses or you get unlucky and you end up and it turns into single track and and actually becomes quite flowy and you're, Oh, this is actually it's maybe a mountain bike route <laughs> and you're going through a single track really nice and flowy through the woods it can be quite rocky in places this part of spain is very rocky with granite and limestone and Costa Brava the literal translation is like uh, rugged coastline so that is evident all the way through but you have also what they call via verde green routes which are smooth hard packed almost man made smooth gravel sandy tracks which becoming more and more common from Girona itself to the little towns to get people off the roads from all levels of cyclists, from kids to families. You can see them just packed on these green, which are fantastic to start your route on. And then you head either to the mountains or maybe you want to go to the coast and you can just hop off onto Onto something, as long as it doesn't say, don't go this way, has such a friendly kind of feeling towards cyclists that even if you, I've ended up some days just going along a little, same little track down a chute and, and I'm in the back of someone's garden and they're, they're raking up leaves and I'm, oh, sorry. <laughs> Let's see if direct you back onto the track and you're like, yeah, you're meant to be down there. Uh, I think you meant to go that way, but yeah, so it's a bit of everything.
0: That's Girona, amazing. The
1: gravel wise.
0: It's so cool that to be able to leave the city and choose your own adventure and just have that ability to explore and find all kinds of different terrain that it sounds like such a special area and not surprising why you guys decided to introduce the Girona gravel bike tour trip, which looks amazing. Can we talk about that trip and what it entails?
1: Yeah, so to give you an, an idea of the overall of the, the trip, it's, it's a one hotel trip based here in Girona. Chose to, to base it right out of the center. We work with a really great Hotel Nord in the center. It's really cycling focused. And we do that. It's was based kind of off our ride camp, which not to diversify what I'm talking about, it's all about eat, sleep, ride, repeat. So we make it nice and simple to focus on the riding. And it's four, four days of riding. And it's designed to be slightly taken on the more intermediate to advanced side of kind of people's levels. So we say that most people should be, have some gravel experience. It shouldn't be their first time riding a gravel bike to get the most out of it. And we have easy days, which are like I say, just using these greenways, getting out of the city, heading to see some of the, the beautiful rugged coastline. And then we have some more avid days which head towards the mountains. And we actually found some of our routes through used to come, or he still does, comes here every year in the spring to do some training before he started his road season. And we'd always wait till he come. We see him here. And then we're, we're looking on Strava, like, where did he go? Where did he go? Because he always seems to find some stupidly hard climbs, some great gravel climb we didn't know about. And we actually introduced some of these to the trip. And it's, like a, like an Alpe d'Huez of gravel, just snaking switchbacks one after the other up to this beautiful peak point with a big cross on the top. Uh, and then you, you're trying to work out where he went. And then you look down the other side and, oh, he went down there. And uh, you, you try it. But then <laughs> for, for, for many people, it's uh, probably too much of a, a rocky rock garden. So you end up heading back down like a beautiful, the switching, snaking all the way back down is the safest way sometimes. But yeah, that's an overview of a gravel trip.
0: Nice. I've done trips of my two trips. One, we were moving basically every night and the second we had a home base. And I have to say my preference is for that home base because I think it allows you to just absorb the culture a little bit more. You can be a tourist in the city that you're staying in. You don't have to pack your gear up every night. So there's something nice about having that hub and ride model. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It definitely just opening your suitcase, getting your your kid out, put it in the wardrobes and you don't have to pack it again the following day to move on. And like I said, it's focused on eat, sleep, ride, repeat, enjoy your riding. The guides take care of everything else. And you're in the center of, of the city. You're a stone's throw from the old town. You can go for a walk on the evenings. You're... Your afternoons and evenings are yours, your own, to either relax, take a massage, or wander the town, go sit and sip coffee. Do all the locals do in the afternoon. Go have a beer and get ready for your evening meal, and, and that's what people enjoy.
0: Now, are riders on these trips typically bringing their own bikes, or are you providing a bike for them?
1: Generally, most people take a bike from us, the the treks. On it. you can bring your own bike it doesn't does it affect price it doesn't affect the price but we do it because it saves you having to pack your bike bike in a box and all the hassle of bringing it here building it and all of that you just turn up and on the first day your bike's there it's already set up with your measurements to your bike from home and ready to go you don't need to worry about it and our guides are full trained mechanics and take care of your bike throughout the whole week particularly as a gravel can be hard on your bikes and so you don't want any problems with your own bikes because it's it's only going to compromise your riding
0: as someone who can be hard on the bike i appreciate that so at the (laughs) end of the day i can hand my bike off to someone and it's going to come back to me better than i left it
1: yeah every day i'm sure the guide's going to look after that bike and and give you it in the morning like it's brand new
0: (laughs) no issues with this particular trip, are you providing the routes, like GPX files? How does it work from a kind of a day-to-day practice perspective?
1: Yeah, so normally day-to-day, you'd uh, wake up and do your morning routine, get dressed, go for breakfast, get a hearty Catalan breakfast, then head down to, to pick up your bikes from the bike room. Your guides would meet you there, give you kind of a morning briefing. of The route is going to go. We provide every guest with a garment with preloaded, GPS routes and your guide is going to typically you have one guide on the bike with you, possibly two, and then a guide in a support vehicle following behind not only any issues that you have, but also by signature snack tables along the route. So you could be riding through a wood and then suddenly the van is just there and, and your guide has got out a table and put some beautiful snacks out. So right in the moment when you're like, I wish I had put more water in my bottle, or I wish that I brought an extra bar. That's when you're going to, going to find your guides. We know those spots well.
0: Nice. And as athletes are going to be coming over with different ability levels and fitness levels and, and sort of interest in flogging themselves levels, is there ability for, if we look at a a daily route and say I'd fancy doing a little bit more. I want to come home with my legs broken every day. Are there those types of options and flexibility built into these trips?
1: yep yep it sounds like most of our guides they always want to go do more so yeah we have a standard route for the day and then what we call the the average route for the day so i i guess Craig, this is for you the extra little add-on which could be anything from an extra climb or an extra loop that you just hit the route on your gps and it'll it'll take you and we have a an ethos of right at your own pace we never never really ride. It's nice to ride as a group, but also it's nice to experience at your own pace. So we definitely encourage that. Guides will move around you rather than you having to stick to your guide and they'll accommodate if if they've got uh, slower riders or if you wanna go up and do the route. Quite often you're gonna have the guide wanting to go with you and show you that extra little climb or take you on an extra little route or redo a route from two days ago because you it was such an amazing experience. Definitely. It, there's something for everybody.
0: That's good to know. Yeah, for me, when I'm able to carve out this time in my life and I may be unique, but maybe not, when I go on one of these trips, since I don't have the responsibilities that I have at home, I don't have, you know, to care for my son, I don't have to do any of the things I need to do around the house, all I want to do is ride my bike. And really, as long as I can prop myself up at the dinner table that night, that's about all I need to achieve in the rest of the day.
1: Yeah, yeah. Good dad to have like a full vacation of a lifetime that's
0: that's catered for you and
1: that's definitely why i think people do a a group trip or an organized tour because you mentioned that if you can afford to do it but can you afford not to do it if you've only got 20 days holiday a year to spend, spend your time planning for your holiday. And then once you get there, have to spend time working out, okay, where should I ride today? Or where should we stop for lunch? Or where's the best place to have dinner tonight? It's all done for you. You can just make the most of what you wanna do, which if you wanna go on a cycling holiday, then you, you wanna ride your bike as much as possible.
0: Yeah, and I think it's it's further complicated when you're trying to ride gravel. So I did a self-guided tour in the Alps, and it was it was pretty easy to understand the road routes that were famous or the famous climbs and figure that out on my own. But when it comes to gravel, and this is something I've spoken about a lot on the podcast, there's just so much to be gained from having a little bit of local knowledge because you cannot look at a path necessarily and, and know, is that a super rocky path that I'm going to be going four miles an hour on, or is it actually mm-hmm. a smooth single track that I'm going 16 miles an hour on? And we can't know that from the outside without talking to cyclists in that local area, while we still want to have that sense of adventure and, and allowing the ride to unfold, it's just really nice in my opinion, particularly if you're going to spend the money to go travel to a destination, to just have a little bit of this served up to you and be mm-hmm. able to get out there worry-free.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely agree. And something that you spend all the time working out a track to go down and then suddenly it leads to nothing and you've wasted an hour of your ride and then you have to backtrack. And that's, yeah, with a small amount of time in Europe or wherever you're traveling, you want to make
0: the most of it. My Spanish is bad enough that if I end up in your garden, (laughs) there's probably going to be an international incident.
1: Yeah, yeah, but... uh, everybody's friendly <laughs> hand signals are gestures. Just, just it's like I, said, I think I've ridden in a lot of places in the world and definitely definitely Spain is uh, really good for cyclists
0: yeah when you have that many cyclists moving through a community obviously the locals are experienced seeing these people and they realize they're good for the community hopefully we're good environmental stewards and polite cyclists so it's just a, a symbiotic relationship for the community
1: Yeah. Yeah. And as we are an American company, we're based in in Madison, Wisconsin, but we've also been in Girona now for nearly six, seven years. So we have a a good hold in the community. We employ, we have lots of people that work for Trek Travel who live here, who are deep rooted in the community. So we often, we work a lot with our subcontractors. We work really hard to find The best people who not only have the the best winery or the best restaurant, but they have the the best ethos to, to work with us and help our guests have the best experience. It's not just about the product they're serving, but how they're making our guests and us as a company feel. So it's really important that local aspect for everything that's involved.
0: Such an amazing opportunity that travel affords the traveler—just the ability to see how things that are important in the culture are manufactured and meet people who are doing them and meet the, meet the restaurateurs. Like all of that is just what has kept me traveling my entire life, and hopefully will have me continue traveling. So, a couple final yeah. questions for you, Ewan: What is your favorite local cuisine? And what can't we miss when we go there? And what is your your favorite part of Girona from a tourist perspective?
1: Yeah, that's a, definitely a hard question. I don't even have a a close to prepared answer. Where do I want to start? Definitely, Girona has a lot of local cuisine, Catalan Catalan cuisine. is a very simple way of cooking in, in one aspect, and one one thing that people often think about, oh, oh, paella. No, throw that away. <laughs> it's uh, it's not paella that you come to eat here. They have something called pinchos, which is very similar to, to tapas. And it's one of my favorite local, it's not a particular dish, it's a way of eating. And in the restaurant, you have lots of little plates on the counter with little chunks of bread with on top of them, either fresh fish with with all sorts of toppings or chorizo or botifada, the the sausage, which they do in many different kind of blood sausages, and lots of little dishes, and often you don't sit down at a at a table. This is going to freak people out in COVID times, but it's a great social way of eating because you're taking small plate and you're taking it. And you're just standing in a bar basically with everybody else who's enjoying it. But it's that great atmosphere of eating together in the center of town, which often spills out into the streets on a Friday and Saturday of just people standing out on the streets with small plates and a uh, little what they call canya, little glass of the the local beer, which they have a lot of really good local breweries here, which I know a lot of people love to test out all the local and. Catalonia to the complete other scale of things has some of Europe's best Michelin star restaurants, like per area. Just in in Girona, the small area up to forty five Ks from the center, you have thirty five Michelin star restaurants for gastronomy it's an amazing place because of all the the local ingredients of the winery you have a lot of cider production with apple and pear farms which you ride through well one of my favorite rides to the coast here takes you through just miles and miles of apple orchards and pear orchards which is just going to be picked in about uh, half a month's time, it's main picking season here. Delicious. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and I haven't even talked about coffee. Coffee, the culture of coffee drinking, was brought to Girona with cyclists. Cyclists need coffee, and they need good coffee, and the Canadian Christian Meyer was one of the more well-known people who brought the coffee culture and his own roastery of the service course and La Mafia is his coffee shop, and from there, nearly 10 years ago, it sprung into... Just that each corner was developing its own taste for coffee, and as the locals really have a passion for it now, brewing really good specialty coffee, which cyclists, we can't live without it. They definitely have a captured audience.
0: Indeed, this is amazing. Girona has always been tops on my list of places to go, and it, it certainly remains in that in that post-COVID top slot for me. I can't wait to join you on one of these trips at some point. I know there's a couple trips left this year. Looks like November 7th and November 14th are available for departure dates, and obviously once again in the spring in 2022. So for all the listeners out there, you can just visit com and just write, search for Girona Gravel, and you'll see the trip we've been talking about. It looks like a heck of a lot of fun, and you can almost guarantee that I'll be there one of these days.
1: Yeah, I will. Look forward to look forward to meeting in person and hopefully you'll get to experience Girona and it won't be your, your last visit to Girona. I can assure you for that much.
0: Thanks for all the great information, you and I appreciate you joining us. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the gravel ride podcast. Big thanks to you and for joining us and telling us all about that great trip that Trek travel has organized. Again, those dates are November this year as well as throughout the spring. So go please visit trucktravel.com to figure out what itinerary might work for you. I hope you're stoked like I am. I'm desperate to get my tires overseas and sample some of that great gravel in Spain and elsewhere in the world. We'll leave it at that for this week. If you have any questions, feel free to join us over at the Ridership. Just visit www.theridership.com to join that free community. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, ratings and reviews are hugely helpful. It's something easy you can do to support what I'm doing. And if you have a little bit more energy or means, feel free to visit buymeacoffee.com thegravelride to help underwrite some of the financial costs associated with this broadcast. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.